everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, along with the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and joining us from in Boston, Tim Williams. And guys, um, two seasons came to an end this uh, week. We saw the Pittsburgh Penguins repeat as Stanley Cup champions, and uh, we saw the Golden State Warriors win the rubber match uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers to become the NBA champions. And it looks like um, Kevin Durant and um, Steph Curry want to make this super team stick around for a while. Um, Thoughts, observations on uh, the NBA Finals? We'll start with you, Mr. Kaufman. Your thoughts? Uh, the best team won. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Golden State's been the best team in basketball for three years. They only won it twice. Uh, but they did win 73 games uh, the year that they didn't win the title. Um, I'm going to say up front that I don't think it's uh, very good for pro basketball that we we can pick the teams that meet in the finals um, in October. I, I don't think that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, even when even when Jordan's Bulls were around, they they had a lot of competitors. Uh, different teams popped up. Phoenix with Barkley. Uh, you, you know, you had Clyde Drexler and the boys, the Knicks. There were teams, mm-hmm. and now you know it's Cleveland and Golden State. Uh, I'll wrap up the NBA in this uh, uh, respect. Um, what is go- uh, there's more stupid conversation, dumb conversation mm-hmm. about the NBA, I think, than any other sport. And I'll give you a reason one. Um, will people get, why are people on LeBron James's case? What, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. They're on him for passing to Kyle Corver in the corner, uh, in, in a game instead of taking the last shot. Uh, why is, why is Kyle Corver on the, on, on the team to hit that shot? From from uh, from the corner, I mean, why why does everybody go out of their way to to to, to pick on LeBron James? He's the best player in basketball. Durant Durant's a close second, but James is the best. And if he's not Jordan, Joe, does that make him chop liver? Well, what's going on with this with this LeBron James uh, tirade? I don't get it. Well, I mean, what goes on is that if you're on top, people like to bring you down. That's just a natural tendency. And uh, I, I agree with you. He's the best basketball player in the world. If I were starting a team today, he would be my first pick. Um, a lot of people would, would now take uh, Kevin Durant. I understand that. But, uh, you know, LeBron is one of a handful of the greatest players to ever play the game. But what I will remember this finals uh, for was – the uh the, that that Kevin Durant put put to rest all the talk that he couldn't win a championship. Uh yes, he was he was the missing link on a better team. Good good for him, but he was the difference. He was the dominant player on the floor throughout the entire uh five games and you know, uh justified every bit of uh, why he moved from Oklahoma City to Golden State. And going forward, uh, I don't see, barring injury, how uh, Golden State doesn't win it again next year. They're they're that good. Go ahead, Tim. You were going to say something? I think that the way – I think I agree with Ira that there are a lot of ridiculous conversations thrown around come – the NBA finals and maybe it's just how basketball is anymore because LeBron James, since he came into the league, he's been compared to the greatest players to ever play the game and not to the other players in the league with him at any given time. It's would Jordan have this? Would Magic Johnson have done this? Would Larry Bird have done this? And none of them had the option of doing this, by the way, this wasn't something that just, came up, the going to Miami, going back to Cleveland, trying to build these super teams. I think that's the road the NBA's chosen over a long time. It was, for a while, it's been, you can't be the first team 
or the last team out of the playoffs. You can't be the ninth team in a conference. That's a death sentence. That means you don't get a good draft pick to improve your team, and your team's not good enough to compete. Well, if being a 500 or so team in the NBA is a death sentence, then what are teams going to do besides try and load up with all the best talent to get guys like Kevin Durant to go to a team like the Warriors or Kevin Love to go to the Cavaliers through trade or through signing, that's what these teams have to do anymore because you have to stockpile talent. That's what we've been taught for years, and if you don't have it, you're supposed to throw entire seasons away in the pursuit of maybe landing it in the draft over the course of three or four years. So... I don't see how that's on either LeBron or Kevin Durant, who both over time have gotten flack for being on these super teams. I think that's where the NBA has wanted to go for over a decade. And just because a couple of teams have gotten really good at it, I don't see why everyone has to be mad. I would like the system to change, but I don't think it's their fault. And I think the ridiculous narratives that have come out of the finals have been mostly based on we want parity and somehow we're blaming the teams in the finals for it. Yeah, I think that, uh, Ira, to your point about LeBron, I think where a lot of the haters came to LeBron was, you know, again, because of the decision. You know, when they it all goes back to LeBron having that um, you know, decision as to what, would he go to Brooklyn, would he go to Miami, was he going to stay in Cleveland, what's going to happen? And a lot of people got turned off that perhaps, you know, it was all about LeBron and less about the team. I understand uh, that, Jim. I understand that. And, yeah. and it was a mistake. It was a mistake. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, his agent got involved and ESPN cameras got involved, and I understand mm-hmm. that. But, Jim, o- over the course of his career, the arc of his career, mm-hmm. he, he, he's been a heck of an adba- ambassador for the NBA, LeBron yeah. James. Um Adam Silver would tell you that. Stern would tell you that. Mm-hmm. He's made very few missteps, I think. And, yeah, no. No, I was just going to the... say, I, I don't disagree with your hypothesis on the process. I was just trying to put into context where, you know, where the haters uh, of LeBron began. And, you know, and, now... it's not a... and, and Jim, to Tim's point um, about uh, teams tanking and, uh, you know, I saw it happen here in Tampa in football with the Bucs uh, towards the end of uh, the 2014 season. Henderson saw it too. Um, Buck management, I think. Joe, it's fair. To, they had made a decision that uh, they didn't want to win at, at the end. They didn't want to win those games. And uh, as a result, they got Jameis Winston. We'll see how that turns out. Our early you know, reports are good. But to Tim's point, and, and Joe, I, I need you to weigh in on this. Uh, the problem uh, with with the, <laughs> with that plan is, you know, there's no Tim Duncan out there a- anymore. I mean, it's very, very rare. Patrick Ewing, uh, Elijah Juan, Duncan, uh, you know, LeBron, uh, Joe, they're not around. I mean, you got to get very, very lucky. Uh, look at this year. I mean, it's a guard-heavy draft. You know, is this guy Mar- Joe? Is Markel Fultz a-, a game changer? The first pick in the draft. Um, th- 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 those game changers are just not around very often. Well, let me um, let me point something out, which uh, may be somewhat surprising to people, because I got curious while you while you were going through that, and I looked up the 2009 NBA draft. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. yes, you, if the ping pong ball falls your way and there is uh, a game changer at the, you know, as the number one pick, congratulations, uh, drafting. But 2009 NBA draft. All right. The first pick that year, Blake Griffin. Okay. Okay. Fine player, but you know, not a game changer. Number two, and by a game changer, I mean for a franchise, what have the Clippers done? They've been good. They haven't been great. Number two, Hashim Thabit of Connecticut. Um, Number three, James Harden, terrific player. Uh, Tarike Evans, Ricky Rubio, 
Johnny Flynn. Guess who was the seventh pick in the 2009 NBA draft? Tom Brady. Stephen Curry. Okay. Okay. And if you held that draft today, who mm-hmm. would be the number one pick? Stephen Curry. So my point is that you can tank, you can, you can uh, hope and, and pray the ping pong ball gods uh, are on your side. You can do all of those things, but you got to be smart. You got to know, you got to have a great player personnel guy at the top of the helm and you got to pick the right players. Uh, I were to go back to your uh, point about the bucks uh, in football tanking. Yes, they did. Um, it was the, that final loss uh, in the, that allowed them to take uh, Jameis Winston. We know what they did. They blatantly tanked the game. Um, you think that there was one Buccaneer fan who walked out of Raymond James Stadium that day going, doggone it, I wish we'd have won that game so we could have drafted second and and (laughs) overall instead of first. No, they knew who they wanted. The long-term future of the franchise was uh, in the best interest of not winning that day. That's never going to change as long as you have a lottery system. But, you know, you still got to make the right choice. And for Exhibit A, I go back to 2009. And, And Michael Jordan wasn't the first pick. Remember that? Tim Bowie was. You know, hey, Joe, to your point, you know who did it right, Tim, is um, they were bad, and they made the right picks. The the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros. They did it right. Yes. And they they had everyone in on it. They never told – they never tried to pretend that they were doing anything but, for all intents and purposes, tanking when they were tanking. And kind of had – even let their fans knew that this is what we were going to do. And we're going to go get these players. And if they pan out, this team in, say, 2017 is going to be, is going to blow the doors off. And they were right. And they hit on everyone. They had the great scouts that found the right guys and drafted the right guys for their team. While we're on the subject of tanking, though, I do want to ask this because I've, I just detest the idea of tanking in sports. What is the difference to you? between tanking and outright throwing a game? Because I don't None. see one. Uh, I've Point always spread, said, maybe. That, well, yeah, but I've always said that if a team is going to tank, as you mentioned the Astros did, right, uh, as probably the Orlando Magic should do, you then have to say to your fans, okay, we're going to give you a subpar product for this year and probably for next year, and maybe even the year after that. And Ira, I'm referring to your 76ers in that breath. Uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a break. We're going to let you in for half price because you're not seeing uh, a legitimate professional effort by the home team to win. So, you know, we're going to cut concession prices, free parking for everybody. Um, Hang with us. We'll do the best we can, but uh, it's not fair to charge you full prices. Think that'll ever happen? I was about to say, what you know? Where where have you been? No, no. Of course, <laughs> it's never going to happen. Because you know what they're going to do? Because I've done this myself. You hand a card to a talent, and they read the following. You know, next week, Kevin Durant and the. Right. Warriors will be coming to town. Get those tickets early. They're going to pitch every other team that comes to town. It has nothing to do with you. You're suddenly, you know, the Washington Generals up against, uh, you know, everybody that they're sending into town. That's how the that's how major league sports work. They market the team that's good coming to, you know, come see the other players. Our guys are crap, but that's okay. Come watch these guys. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah, and that usually wears off by about the 43rd loss after 50 games. Right. I'm not not saying Uh, it's the way to do it. I'm just saying it's the way they do it. Yeah. Jim, Jim, on on the hockey side, I want to salute the Penguins because uh, it's very tough to repeat in any sport, especially the Mm -hmm. NHL. Uh, They were missing their best defenseman in Latang, 
and they won it anyway. Uh, but I'm going to take a different look at the final. Uh, and, Joe, you were here uh, with me uh, when we saw the Lightning in, in 04, uh, shot mm-hmm. the NHL, and uh, here comes Nashville. And we saw the, uh, the frenzy in the Music City, uh, you know, and the stars are coming out and getting into the hockey. And, boy, you know, just to think of outposts like Tampa, Nashville, years ago people thought uh, Bettman was crazy. Um, maybe I did too, Joe. But, you know, Bettman's been around now. Joe, for 25 years, nobody thought that was going to happen. Um, and while the sport uh, hasn't made great inroads uh, everywhere, um, Joe, some of these traditional non-hockey markets are turning out to uh, to be strong hockey markets. Oh, absolutely. Um, you look at uh, Bettman's Southern strategy. Remember, that's our Sunbelt strategy, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it didn't work in every location. Um, uh, Atlanta, um, most notably, and and the pan the Panthers are struggling. The Panthers yeah. are struggling. Um, but if you do it again, you do it the right way. They do it the right way in Nashville. Um, this isn't a Sun Belt team, but it's a non-traditional market. Uh, Columbus, look at what at the excitement that got generated there this year. Um, and of course, right here in Tampa, where. Uh, you know, I always felt like the Lightning kind of got gypped, though, because they went in 04 and they had to wait till uh, 2006 to raise their banner because of the the strike. And remember the, you know, was was Dave Andrichuk was that, you know, was he going to announce his retirement on on the golf course after the NHL announced that they were uh, canceling the season? People wondering if if the guy who was the emotional leader of that uh, lightning team would be back, uh, they just lost all the momentum um, from just a thrilling, unbelievable season, but they've got it back now. Um, great ownership with Jeff Fennick. Uh, Stevie Eiserman just deserves every ounce of praise you want to give him. The, the lightning will be in the conversation for years and the people of Tampa and Tampa Bay have responded accordingly. Uh, they sell out every game. It's a great atmosphere. Uh, and they have managed to do what people said couldn't be done, is that they've made hockey in a Florida city with no history in the sport. They've made it the the thing to do. They've made every game a happening. And, you know, it's enjoy it. it these things don't last forever. But uh, they're even this year, missing the playoffs, people were still buying in right to the very end. Right, Ira? Question about it. And, you know, uh, Jim, uh, Nashville's got a guy named Sean Henry uh, mm-hmm. who kind of puts everything together in terms of game atmosphere, and he came from the Lightning um, and learned his lessons well uh, here in Tampa, and he applied it to Nashville. And, uh, boy, that was a very competitive series, and uh, they're going to be good for a while too, Jim. Well, they have Dave Poyle down there who was with the Capitals for That's many right. years. And Dave is a, a good uh, person with regards to player personnel and all that. I'm happy for Nashville. I thought that they, rec- you know, they came out. But, you know, to me, and, uh, you know, we'll throw it to Tim who covers college hockey, which not a, there are not a lot of people that do that. Um, I, I would say this, you know, about uh, – about Nashville, I mean, they were a number eight seed. I mean, they came from out of nowhere. And I got to tell you, personally, I I think that the Stanley Cup playoffs are far more compelling and interesting than the NBA playoffs. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing like playoff hockey. They're really, playoff hockey, especially when one team or both faces elimination, it's just, it's wild. And the atmosphere can be fantastic. And Nashville proved that. You could even see it through television. Not being in the arena, you could sense that there was something different about Nashville. You could hear the crowd chanting in a way they don't in NHL arenas. And by the way, they do in college hockey arenas. And they pointed out during the finals that it sounded a lot like college hockey because that really is how you cheer on teams in college and maybe this will lead to Vanderbilt getting a program. And (laughs) while we're on that, maybe USF since 
you know, Tampa did host the Frozen Four twice and got rave reviews in doing so both times. Everyone liked going down there. They had a good atmosphere for those games. And being that there's not a program within 500 miles of Tampa, that's pretty impressive in its own right as well. And while I'm on college hockey, I'll bring two more things up. Dave Poyle went to Northeastern. So I, I like throwing that out there because, well, that, that's the sport we, we like the most at Northeastern. So good to see a guy with Northeastern credentials get all the way up to the NHL Finals as a GM. And the Pittsburgh Penguins had the most former college hockey players of any Stanley Cup champion. So it's starting to catch on. Better and better players are playing that. So maybe on Friday nights. I don't. It, right now the rights are up in the air. Who knows we'll be broadcasting it. But if they get a national cable pro- contract on Friday nights in the winter, you might see the next great lightning player because that's how the NHL draft works and that's how college hockey works. So thanks for throwing that out there as well. And, you know, the finals were great. The only problem is the only close game was the last game, the 2 nothing Pittsburgh win. Every other game was an outright blowout on either side. Well, let me, uh, let me jump in there with one quick observation uh, to uh, correct. Yeah. Yes. To correct a, um, a little misstatement there, University of South Florida does have a hockey team, the Ice Bulls, and they, uh, they play in the uh, American Collegiate Hockey Association, and um, this year advanced to the Nationals. They, uh, yeah, it's probably what we would, we would call a club sport, um, but uh, it, they, do, uh, they do wear the green and gold, and they do represent USF. So. Yes, credit where due. The the ACHA, which are club sports, by the way, but they there yeah. are some really really proud traditions in the ACHA, and USF is one of them. And it would be great if maybe one day they could go Division One. But there's a lot involved in in that. Yeah. That's one of the more expensive things to start as a hockey program. But there are only sixty of them, and there's only one down south. So it would be great to see USF in there. And there have occasionally been college hockey players and maybe soon NHL players from the Tampa Bay area. Brandon's own Clay Witt played in college hockey for a little while. I think he's still trying to work his way through the semi-professional leagues at the moment, but he's from Brandon. He's a goaltender. He made it to Hockey East, so... That's that's a sign. Maybe there's maybe people are playing the game as well as watching it in Tampa Bay because they're certainly watching it down there. Hey Jim, if we had a little more time, uh, Henderson would would break down uh, USF's two two one alignment. <laughs> Jimmy, um, probably not. But uh, I will say um, to go to Tim's point, the you know, we expect. Yeah, you know, when you when you're granted a franchise, when, and I always put "granted" in air quotes because you know it, you actually pay a lot of money for uh, the right to own these teams. But when the Lightning came here, many many years. How how long has it been, Ira? Oh, Twenty some years now. Um, people didn't know what to make of it. They had no real connection to the team maybe they liked hockey from when they grew up up north or whatever but it takes time for you know these seeds to fully sprout and you you mentioned you know uh, players coming out of tampa now i know my own son my my oldest son who's 30 now was like i don't know eight nine or ten when he suddenly announced to me that he was going to be a hockey fan. And I kind of thought that was cute uh, because that's back when the Rays were, or the, excuse me, the Buccaneers were uh, going to the Super Bowl. No, he didn't want anything to do with them. He wanted hockey. And you know what? He has grown up to be a lightning season ticket holder and can converse about the third line as casually as, as Ira can talk about the Bucks backup quarterback. So, you know, just, 
when you when these things come along, and that references back to Gary Bettman's Southern strategy, give it time. We don't have the tradition that they have in Canada or the original six. Give it time, uh, but it can work, and it is working. It's been a great job by by Tampa Bay and bringing it back to the finals by Nashville to to really build these fan bases. And you're right to give it time because neither of those started off on great footing. Nashville took a while where they had an empty arena. They brought in a bunch of people from Detroit to help manage their team for a while to to run the the day-to-day and create more of a Detroit Red Wings style atmosphere and that helped a lot and then of course they bring in David Poyle from the from the Capitals and that brings in better players and they got a gift of a trade with handed PK Subban from the Montreal Canadiens for reasons that are still to this day wildly unclear. No one really knows how he ended up on the Nashville Predators, but they're certainly happy to have him him there. And Pittsburgh has been amazing in their run, repeating in a league where they instituted a, a salary cap, a lot like the NFL's salary cap. So they've kind of built themselves away from dynasties and from these kind of teams and yet here the penguins are because they've just done they've done things right and they've been doing it right for a long time shifting gears yeah shifting gears for just a moment the this is US Open week on Thursday and through Sunday the United States Open, the USGA's major championship, will begin at Aaron Hills. And it's been a wild week already at the US Open. They've had to trim back some of the wild fescue grass because of all the rain they've been getting there. They're afraid that it's going to be unplayable. But that's really the US Open, isn't it? It's the true challenge. It's really the golfer against the course. And it's the one tournament where you're allowed to root for the course. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that to Tim's point about the course, that I, I remember a great quote one time from the players were complaining about the how tough a major uh, course was. And the, uh, you know, uh, one of the questions from the, media was, are you trying to embarrass the greatest golfers in the world? And the answer was, no, we're trying to identify them. And uh, so I say make it as tough as possible. Well, Joe, I got a problem with a major sport where we, where we spend uh, most of our time uh, this week talking about the word fescue. That, that's a problem. <laughs> uh, now, <laughs> Rory McIlroy, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, but Rory McIlroy, only one of the best players in the world, caused a little stir in the golf world, and it doesn't take much to do so, by suggesting that uh, it should be a challenging course and and that uh, the fairways are are, are wide enough for the greatest golfers in the world to consistently place the ball, I think, 60 yards across. He said it's some of the biggest fairways ever at the U.S. Open. It, they are the widest fairways in U.S. Open history. All right, and I'm I'm just saying my you know my guess is some of the people in that field don't appreciate McElroy's remarks and think that he spoke out of turn, and they want to take every break they can get. Um, Tim, isn't isn't this stuff supposed to be challenging at at a U.S. Open? It absolutely is. That's the point of the U.S. Open, and I think Rory McIlroy's 100% right that making it easier on the golfers isn't really the point of the U.S. Open. In fact, when they choose a U.S. Open course like Aaron Hills, representatives from the USGA come in and tweak the course a little bit to make it that much more of a challenge for the world's best golfers. It really should be. And now... I'm saying this 
not anywhere near Aaron Hill, so I have no idea what this rain is really like and what it's doing to the ground. Because if it's making it get wild and you can't play a ball, then that's too much. But they they have to make it challenging. This is the point of the U.S. Open. The Masters is always at the same course, so occasionally people will go really low. The PGA Championship has always been a tournament where it's been customary for people to go pretty low as far as majors are concerned. But the U.S. Open's always been the toughest challenge. There are years where the winning score will be close to even par for all 72 holes. So it's really odd to see this. And as far as McElroy being outspoken goes, he's always been like this. He came out last year and railed against the Olympic Games having golf in them and professional golfers going down to play in the Olympics and why he wouldn't go. He's he's never shied away from from speaking out and he wasn't the first golfer to do it this week. Kevin Na came out the day before and complained about how tough Aaron Hills was. So there are kind of competing viewpoints going around this week. Well, well Ira, my understanding... I would just like to point out that I've seen Ira play golf before and he has spent a lot of time in the fescue. I'm just I'm just saying <laughs> Um, Tim, I'm looking, Tim, I'm looking for uh, fairways that are 120 yards across. <laughs> well, I don't think you'll one find them. One of my favorite lines, I was just going to say one of my favorite lines uh, about, um, you know, bunkers and problems in, in that routine was uh, given by uh, a, someone who is not shy about giving great quotes, and that's David Faraday, who said that there was a U.S. Open uh played one time I forget where it was but he said he spent more time in the bunker than Ava Braun so anyway the um I have a question for you guys from a golf standpoint are you cool with the fact that you can call in by watching literally if Joe Henderson sees something that uh, Royal McElroy does he can call the PGA and they can call him on it no, I am not cool with that at all. Good grief. You know, um, we saw that play out this year in, in an LPGA event. and right, a major. Yeah, a major. And yep. it's like, get a life, people. You know, <laughs> golf has weird rules as it is. And I know that, the, you know, the players at that level respect the rules. Uh, it's the the gentlemanly game you're supposed to you know do all that stuff but good lord they have officials they're there uh let them do their jobs we don't need some guy sitting there with a dvr uh in poughkeepsie going back and forth you know 18 times saying aha that ball moved a tenth of an inch he should be disqualified no absolutely not that uh that LPGA scenario was crazy, Tim. And to make it even worse, to make it even worse, um, the timing of when they overruled was crazy because, you know, if they would have done it right away uh, at the end of the previous round, then um, the leader would have known uh, where she stood. Uh, instead, uh, you know, she thinks she's winning by, by two, three strokes. She plays the whole course differently. The whole thing made no sense, Jim. No, it didn't. And uh, personally, I'd like to have it in baseball and football so I could, every time Joe West is behind the plate, I could make phone calls. But um, it's not the Joe way West it works. Would track you down. Joe West would track you down, though, and eject you from your house. I know. I'm just saying. You know what? If you really wanted to hurt me, you could sing. Um, Ooh. The, Shot, that's but, but fair, yeah. but fair. Yeah. Tim, Tim, is this uh, is this Dustin Johnson's uh, tournament to lose, Tim? Well, he certainly won last year, and when he's been playing well, he is the best golfer in what I think is a loaded field that doesn't get enough credit for being a loaded field because we've been spending the last 10 years waiting for Tiger Woods to be Tiger Woods again. So we've forgotten that there's this entire group of young golfers right now, and Dustin Johnson's foremost among them, that are really crafted in that image that came out in the late 90s and early 2000s. Golfers that 
play all year and train during whatever little offseason they have. So now they're hitting the ball as far as they've ever hit it. They're in they're ready for almost any kind of a course. And I would love to say it's Dustin Johnson's to lose, but it's such a loaded field that well, if Jordan Spieth gets it right for four rounds in a row, he could take it. Justin Thomas has been playing some incredible golf this year. So is John Rahm, and he's only he's in his early 20s as well. So this is a loaded field, and while Dustin Johnson is a slight favorite, I don't think he could be called prohibitive. I don't know if it's his to lose because I think the days of one golfer against the field – well, they only lasted about five years, really. You know, you, you mentioned uh, Tiger. And um, what happened to him, and I'm not talking about the, the extracurricular activities, but what happened to him was, is a cautionary tale. Because obviously, you know, he was, we all figured he was going to pass Jack Nicholas and, 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 all of that good stuff. And now, it'll, frankly, I'll be surprised if we see him uh, out on a professional course again. I go back to the way he played the game, which was those violent torque twists on, his, on, on all of his shots. Now he's, you know, he's paid the price with back problems. And even more than that, Tiger, I think, rather than stick with what worked for him, remember how he kept tinkering with his swing? And you yeah. would say... You just won the U.S. Open by 105 shots. Why are you tinkering with your swing? Well, I want to win it by 106. You know, it's – I think he got himself so screwed up, and then he didn't know how to fix it. And he started going through swing coaches like, you know, uh, like nobody's business. And people finally just said, you know, Tiger, you should have – you never should have done this. And I don't – think that even if he were healthy right now that he would know how to get it fixed so you know if, if one of these uh, young lions emerges um, or, or someone coming up as the next tiger woods um, which i think we you know would it'll be a long time before we see another one that was as dominant as him if you got something that's working stick with it and you know don't don't get too smart, I guess, is the uh, is, would be the uh, battle cry on that. You know, Joe, to your point, too, part of Tiger's um, ability besides golf was his mental, you know, acumen, yeah. his ability to Absolutely. just basically on Sunday, if he was in front or if he was just a little bit behind, everybody was looking at him as, you know, oh, my God, it's Tiger. And so right. he, he had that fear factor. And when things started to, you know, when the wheels started to come off, you know, that fear factor went. And now, as Tim said, there's a generation of golfers who never had, were played against Tiger Woods. Or if they did play against Tiger Woods, they played against the lesser version of Tiger Woods. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I uh, like you, I don't know, you know, I think he will play tournaments. I just don't think... You know, the chances of him winning and winning a major again, I think, are very, very slim. No, uh, if it were ever going to happen, uh, just let me just quickly, if it was ever going to happen, it would probably happen at Augusta National, just given his familiarity and history with the course. But you put him on a on a U.S. Open course that maybe hasn't seen that much of. I don't think uh, I don't think he would uh, make the cut at this point. Ira, I'm sorry. Jump I, in. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, Jim. That, uh, you know, among among Woods's uh, unbelievable accomplishments, and this might be number one. Um, I think that the way the way he brought in the casual golf fan, the casual, mm-hmm. um, yep. and, and that's something you know very special in, in different sports. Very special. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, soccer. Uh, you, you know, Ronaldo, Pele in his day, uh, special. Mm-hmm. Uh, messy. You you want to see it. You, you may not be interested in the result, but you want to see him anyway. Um, Tim, I'm, I'm looking at the current crop. Um, you know, you got to have that it factor, that charisma. Um, and I still look at McElroy, Tim, as the potential guy 
you can't write him off, but you're right. It's a crowded uh, group of young golfers that have emerged. Um, but to me, McElroy, in terms of that, you know, being able to entice the casual fan, I, I, I think he's the guy going forward if, if, he can, uh, if he can play up to that, to that role. Well, I think, Ira, to your point, the casual fan getting invested in golf because of Tiger and how many people, especially young people, decided to pick up the game because of Tiger Woods, I think we're seeing the effects of that every week on the PGA Tour, and we're going to see it a lot this weekend. Because that young crop of golfers I talked about, again, this is a field crafted in the image of Tiger Woods. There might, There is probably never going to be a golfer who has the who does what Tiger Woods did when he won the Tiger Slam when he was one of the biggest names period in the world that that might never happen again but right now there's a loaded field full of guys who play the kind of golf that did not exist before Tiger Woods showed up on tour and now it's the kind of golf that wins pretty much every golf tournament because that's where it went and I think there's no better testament to how good he was when he was great than looking at the tour now and saying he changed how people play golf on the highest level in a way that that no one has since Jack Nicklaus and maybe he never passed Jack but that's his place in golf history and I think that speaks to a great field that includes Rory McIlroy that I think you're right. He's the personality of the group. He's the guy you want to follow the most. Although Dustin Johnson has been very public in his, his career, good and bad. And we've seen, you know, he's married to Wayne Gretzky's daughter. So he's not very far out of the public eye very often either. So you have some guys who could become stars. But as far as people looking for who could be the next guy in that line I think that's foolish I don't think I think there's only really going to be one Tiger Woods and that's what made him so special but I I would love to see Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson in the final pairing and I, I wouldn't root for a weather delay but it would be nice to see Phil Mickelson make his tea time even though he's he's also seeing you know he's he's at a graduation He's trying to, if there's a weather delay, he'll still be able to make the U.S. Open. So it'd be nice to see um, Phil Mickelson at 47, still a contender for tournaments that he enters. Considering Jack won his last major at 46, that's pretty notable too. And it's a sign that if Phil Mickelson at 47 with arthritis can still be a contender, Tiger looks down, but it's hard to count him out. You know, talking about the... Go ahead, Joe. No, I was just going to say, I'm sorry, but at this point, I am counting Tiger out. And it's just from the physical. From the physical. Um, He said the back is gone. The back has got two knee problems, too. And you you can't play... He can't be Tiger Woods without that, you know, violent swing of his... And his back is just not going to let him do it. And uh, so, you know, I guess we'll always have uh, Pebble Beach uh, and and uh, some of his other uh, great championships. But uh, I think, uh, you know, it's Tiger. I wouldn't be surprised bluntly to see him hang it up and just say, physically, I can't do this anymore. Uh, and I'd, I don't think that would be the worst decision that that he could make. I'm not sure that that's in his makeup. I don't know that he can do that. There, you know how some athletes are good at it, and others, mm-hmm. you know, they know when to walk away. I don't know that mm-hmm. Tiger knows that. I just, you know. Well, I hope I hope I'm wrong, and and I hope that you know I'd love to see him uh, go to uh, Sunday next year at Augusta National. Uh, yeah, in in the hunt, but uh, you know I don't believe in Santa Claus, and I don't believe uh, at this point in Tiger Woods. Fair enough. 
And getting back to the to the current the people who are playing this tournament, who will someone will win this major, and it won't be Tiger Woods. So, I, I do think at times the talk about this overshadows how great the players on tour right now are. And to Iris Point McElroy. So, I I think we can add in who who would be your pick going around, starting with Ira. Who would be your pick to win the U.S. Open this week? Um, I'm going to go with Adam Scott. Um, I think he's a very consistent player. He's always in the hunt, Tim. And uh, I don't know if uh, the U.S. Open, uh, this course in particular, suits uh, Dustin Johnson's strengths, which are many. Um, you know, uh, it, it was nice to see uh, Sergio Garcia. All of a sudden, he's a sage veteran of the tour, and, and now he's uh, back in the mix as a factor. But uh, I'm going with Adam Scott, Mr. Henderson. Uh, what you say? Um, well, I will. Uh, I know this is going to shock you, Ira, but I will contradict you. I will uh, go with Dustin Johnson, and uh, it's uh, no special reason other than the fact that um, he seems to enjoy the the bigger the challenge, the more he enjoys it and embraces it. And uh, this course is going to be a challenge. Uh, but I think uh, his game suits it, and so uh, that's my pick. You just want to see Paulina run out there in a sundress, Jim. That's what it's all about for Henderson. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> I wouldn't argue with him. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'll, I'll go with Sergio because it's a Lynx-type course. Um, Sergio has played the U.S. I mean, the, the Open, the Open as we like to call it, uh, the British Open. He's had some pretty good success there, uh, even though he hasn't won. Uh, he's played the Lynx courses pretty well, so I'll, I'll go with Sergio. I think for that reason, I'll go with McElroy because not only is it going to be a Lynx style course, but with all this talk about rain and wind and weather, it sounds like it's going to be very much like the Open Championship. It's going to be not just man against the course, but man against the elements. And that's going to favor golfers who have a little more experience on those Open Championship style courses. Well, that's that's where Roy McElroy's from. He he kind of grew up on those kind of courses and in that in those conditions. So for the kind of person that might have to hit a knockdown shot, might have to deal with a wet green, might have to deal with changing conditions throughout the week. I, I think Sergio's very well handled or very well equipped to handle that. And I think Rory McIlroy is incredibly well equipped to handle that. So it should be quite a show. And I, I would like to see as many golfers as possible play their best because again, I think this field doesn't get enough credit and I would love to see what people, what what they could do if everyone has one of their best weeks at the same time, how good that field could be with McElroy, with Dustin Johnson, with Jordan Spieth, who's still capable of putting up some incredible scores, with Justin Thomas, who's emerged this year, and John Rahm, and a lot of others. So it, it would be great to see that and see how far the tours come, whether they have that headliner or not. So after uh, Kevin Na actually, after Kevin Na actually wins it, then we can all come back next week and explain uh, how we goofed up. <laughs> it's okay. Wouldn't be the first time. Won't be the last. Um, Absolutely. Speaking of it, um, it's about time, guys, to um, final thoughts and social media. Tim, you're up. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports. And while we're on the subject of golf, it's pretty much summer all over the country, although there might be some storms where you are. It might be raining where you are, but it, it's summer now. The courses are open, so anyone who used to play golf and has taken a couple of years away from the game, I assure you, the courses are more wide open than they've been in a long time. There, there is an opportunity to get out there and experience golf when it what when the courses weren't crowded, when you could actually get out and play. It's like that again. So if you've set down the clubs for a while, this might be a good time to go pick them up. Maybe the U.S. Open will be some inspiration for you. 
Ira. All right, you can get me on Twitter, Jim, at uh, at ikaufman76. I'm gonna I'm gonna end with uh, just going back to the NBA Finals for a second. Uh, I'm gonna show my age here, Henderson. No comments from you necessary. Uh, Mid 70s, you know, growing up, I remember a uh, a big man who could fill the rim up, 30 point scorer named Bob McAdoo. When I saw Bob McAdoo play. I said to myself, how can a big man shoot like that? And now, all these years later, here comes Durant. He's three inches taller than McAdoo. He goes to the basket better, moves like a guard. And boy, can he shoot. We're not talking about three-pointers, guys. We're talking about five feet beyond the three-point line. Shots that you want him to take. And when now, when he misses it, I'm shocked. Um, there's never been. Never been a big man with that kind of range. I don't know if we'll ever see his like again, but, uh, boy, what a pleasure to watch Durant drain those three-pointers. Wow. Amazing. Joe. Well, you can find me on Twitter at jhendersontampa. And um, I'm going to do a little curve here and kind of uh, throw a name at at folks that if you aren't in the Tampa area, and maybe even if you are, um, won't sound familiar to you. But very quietly, Corey Dickerson of your Tampa Bay Rays is having an outstanding season. Um, as of uh, as of right now, he has 15 homers. He has he's hitting 337, a 983 OPS, and uh, is starting to gain at least a little traction in all-star balloting. If he played in a major market, uh, you know, people would be uh, naming their, their children after him right now. Yeah, terrific player for the race. And uh, just uh, with guys like that, the Rays are actually leading the majors in home runs. And if they can get some of their um, injured uh, players back, this is going to be a team to uh, really watch uh, going forward because they've managed to hang in there. Uh, they're above 500 at this point. Uh, they, they, they can have outstanding pitching. And you get guys like Corey Dickerson coming along, and uh, they, can, they can beat you a lot of different ways. So that's what I'm watching. Well, that brings to a close yet another edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. If you haven't uh, had the opportunity to subscribe, by all means, it's simple enough to do. All you have to do is go to the iTunes store, to Google Play. Obviously, you can get us right here at Blog Talk Radio by hitting the subscribe button. And you can get us at Stitcher. That's right, Stitcher, where all the cool podcasts are. The ones that are sports-related, the ones that are politically related, and just plain old good entertaining podcasts. So that's all at Stitcher. So there's no excuse for you not to be getting the Sunshine Boys podcast delivered to your phone or to your email address. Okay? All right. So for the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman and... Joe Henderson for Tim Williams in Boston. I'm Jim Williams, your host. Hope that you have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy whatever sports you choose to watch. 